This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance and Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. <laughs> The year is 1992, <laughs> and this is the story of a team who is... Uh, Paul! Paul! Uh, there's no crying in podcasts. The movie, A League of Their Own. And yes, we were contractually obligated to do a joke about that. Everybody and welcome to Unspooled. I'm Amy Nicholson. And I'm Paul Shear, and this is the podcast where we are trying to find the 100 best films of all time. We are in the process of making the best list ever. And when we do, we're going to send that list into outer space. Currently, we are on a series called Underdogs, which are films based on true life sporting events. And today, Amy, I'm so excited to talk about A League of Their Own, a movie that we have been uh, rhapsodizing about for forever. Why is this not on the list? This should be on the list. We got to do this on the show. And it is finally here. It is finally here. Hey, bada, 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 bada. Are you ready to swing at the greatest movie of all time? Because that's what this is. I had only seen this film once in the theater. Uh, and I remember like, really? yeah, You've only, you'd only seen it once since 1992 and not like every day. The finally our positions have reversed. This is the movie I have seen a gazillion, gazillion times. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm so excited to talk about it. And you know what? This is the end of a series that's been very interesting. I feel like we've gotten to look at some very different films than we normally look at. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm so sad to see it go. But then I realized we're actually going to live with it a little bit longer because next week we are not going to play the listener favorite pick. We're going to do a very special Oscar episode, which means that we can live in the underdog world for just a little bit longer. Uh, the week after that, we'll be getting into our underdog pick. But I'm excited to go deep into Oscars with you because simply I've not seen many Oscar movies and I'm going to look to you to tell me what I should see. Let's do it. Let's do it. And that makes me curious because uh, 
I tend to watch all the Oscar movies, and yet you still do better with me on Oscar polls. So maybe we should really put a wager down this year. Ooh, I like that. I would love to bet on it. I will only watch the trailers. You have seen the films. Who will win? <laughs> Play along with us. Which side are you on? Um, this I love has it. to be the year where I beat you, man. Come on. I'm tired of losing. Like, I'm tired of losing to you. I feel like you could. I feel like you could. I mean, I'm looking at some of these names. I'm like, I've heard of that one, I think. Um, you know, it's so interesting because I used to look forward to, and this is such a inside baseball thing I'm going to say, but I used to look forward to getting all these screeners at my house uh, because when you're in these different acting and directing unions, you get screeners sent to you and you get to watch them. And now most of the Oscar movies are on streaming services. So I feel like that stack of DVDs that used to live by my couch that I was excited to dig into every night uh, are basically non-existent. I think only Minari and Nomadland were the only two that came in, maybe Promising Young Woman as well. Um, But I, you know, I don't know if not being on my shelf made me not actively seek them out. To be honest, I bet so a little bit. I mean, now we are very inside baseball, but yeah, I mean, we're talking about a baseball movie, so maybe we're allowed to be a little inside baseball. I like that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There is something about the the guilt of the stack of screeners saying like, aren't you going to watch me? I'm here. I'm tangible. I have a picture of the actress on the cover. Put me on, baby. Put me on, baby. <laughs> and this year's Oscars, um, or for us, like our film critic awards, having to dig through my inbox and be like, I know there was that movie I wanted to see. What was it? Where is the link? Get Where that is it link. hiding? Find that link. Well, how about this? You know, I think that a lot of people I've talked to are also in similar situations where, you know, there hasn't been a need or really the ability to go out to the theater. Now it's starting to open up again. People are going out. I don't know if, you know, No Man Land is in the top of people's lists as much as maybe like, you know, uh, King Kong versus Godzilla or Nobody is. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm curious. So I think come listen to this episode if you've seen one or you've seen none or you've seen them all. I think we'll be able to cover the Oscars from those vantage points. And I'm excited to do that. And I feel like we will get all of our bases covered, which is also a uh, baseball term. And Amy, that brings us to who is on the mound today. Who is going to be pitching out this game? It's our good old friend on Spool It. Wow, Paul, you really took that um, metaphor all the way home. Plate. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm looking at. This is the kind of work that you're going to get from us. A year in quarantine, we still got it. The year is 1992, and Wayne, it's never going to happen. Live in the now. The nicotine patch hits the markets. Euro Disney in France opens. Bill Clinton is elected president. Minnesota's Mall of America is constructed, spanning 78 acres. I've been there many a time. It's glorious. DNA fingerprinting is invented. And the hot films of the year, of course, are the mentioned Wayne's World, Basic Instinct, Unforgiven, and today's film, A League of Their Own. Amy, who's in it, who made it, and what's it about? Oh, Paul, here we come. I can't wait to take a swing of this. A League of Their Own. It is directed by the late, great Penny Marshall of Big, and it is written by Lowell Gantz and Babalu Mandel. They are a comedy duo that Penny has known since Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley. They also went on to write blockbusters like Splash, Parenthood, City Slickers, and of course, this one, A League of Their Own. Now, A League of Their Own is the story of the debut season of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, which launched in 1943, when here in America, the male ballplayers are off fighting World War II. 
This movie is the story of a team of the real-life Rockford Peaches here, populated by fictional characters like Betty Spaghetti, who's played by Penny's daughter, Tracy Reiner. You got Marla Hooch. She's played by Mega Cavanaugh. You got Doris Murphy and All the Way May, played by Rosie O'Donnell Madonna. And you also have competitive sisters Dottie and Kit, played by Gina Davis and Lori Petty. Now, these players, the team, are led, or at least they're sort of joined on the bus by their alcoholic manager, Jimmy Dugan, who is played by Tom Hanks. And while these characters themselves in the movie are fictional, the hurdles that they face are not. The League was dismissed, it was mocked, and it was told to be more feminine, and it was eventually forgotten until this film came out in 1992, and it set a record as the number one grossing baseball pick of all time, a record that it still holds to this day. Take a listen. <laughs> Are you crying? No. Are you crying? Oh. Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. Why don't you leave her alone, Jimmy? Oh, you zip it, Doris. Rogers Hornsby was my manager, and he called me a talking pile of pig shit. And that was when my parents drove all the way down from Michigan to see me play the game. And did I cry? No, no. No! <laughs> No! And you know why? No. Because there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball! No crying! What's the matter, Jimmy? What? She's crying, sir. I didn't mean to do that. Now, A League of Their Own landed a big summer release date, July 1st, 1992. And this celebration of non-traditional womanhood happened to coincide with a number one hit that also hailed women who broke free of societal constrictions. I am speaking, of course... Of Sir Mix-a-Lot's Baby Got Back. I like them round and big. And when I'm throwing a gig, I just can't help myself. I'm acting like an animal. Now here's my scandal. I want to get you home and uh, double up. By the way, two things about the Baby Got Back video. Um, one, I would say, yes, the girls of A League of Their Own do want to get home or mm, double up. Uh, uh. Fair enough. That's a baseball term, right? Yeah, um, yeah we're talking baseball hits. Uh, and second, that video for Baby Got Back makes fun of Madonna. There's a clip in there of a headless woman in a comb bra grabbing her crotch is the type of ass that you do not want to have. All right, look, I would never make fun of Madonna. You don't want an angry Madonna after you. Amy, before we break into this episode, I do want to challenge you on one of the things that you already said, oh, which no. is you said that this league was unpopular, but... In my research, um, they said that the league was actually very popular and profitable from the start, largely because it played in the towns of the upper Midwest that had no way of watching a live baseball game. And the reason why the league kind of fell apart was because of the popularity of television and televised games. But for those uh, 10 or so years, they were more popular than this film makes them out to be. You're right. You're right. I mean, the film makes it look like they get popular by the end of the season, but they were, can we still say they were mocked? They were definitely mocked. Yes. I will say that knowing that I've done no more research than that factoid that I just read to you. So if you say it, I believe you. But I also will then challenge one more fact, and I want to see what your comeback is on this, that, um, you know, the movie also suggests that the American and National League had shut down during the war, but that didn't happen either. Uh, Both leagues filled up their rosters by signing lifelong minor league players and retired players, and in some cases, high school players. You know, some of the minor leagues were affected by war, and many were forced to shut down for their lack of players. And so those leagues, those are the ones that really never resumed Uh, once the war was over. So that was interesting to me as well. So in a weird way, 
it was even more triumphant that this was able to be successful in conjunction with actual uh, American and National League baseball. Like, it wasn't like, oh, we're just filling a void. It was like, no, 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 this is existing alongside of something else. Huh. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that at all. They left that out of the movie that the ma- that the major league men were still playing ball. And yeah. I, I have to say, like, when I saw this movie as a kid, the idea that a whole sports league could be shut down because of a global event happening, I was like, that's insane. That would never happen. And I guess we mostly kept it alive, huh? I guess we kind of kept our sports leagues alive this year. But now I understand what it's like when um, you might stop having a national pastime that you love deeply. Well, I mean, the big the big difference is that the people who populated those leagues were not available to be there. Where here, everyone was available to be there. You know, like we didn't have a war, but I, I definitely understand that idea. Like, I think there's this whole thing that we as a culture understand, you know, during World, during World War II, many women started working in factories while their husbands were fighting in the war. So I think this movie feels a very similar parallel to that. Like, oh, well, they're working in factories and they're playing baseball, like they're doing everything, you know. And, um, and I think ultimately, and we've talked about this every single week, the premise of this needs to be exactly what the movie sets up. We don't need to hear all the ins and outs. The movie was originally four hours. Maybe they did get into some of that, but it's not important because this movie isn't even truly about women being accepted as baseball players. In my mind, I think this movie is so much deeper than that. It It is a, it's a movie about teamwork. It's a movie about sisterhood. It's a movie about women being able to express themselves in a world where they were told that they couldn't do these things. I mean, it's so, it's so much deeper than like a historical, like, well, technically the national league did have players. It who gives a shit. Like it's, that's the least interesting thing. In my opinion, I think the most interesting stuff is really what happens when you're able to do something that felt like it was never a possibility. Yeah. And it's a movie that I think on top of that, takes female athleticism as a given. Like that's Mm -hmm. what really popped out for me on this watch is it's a movie where the women in this movie are great at sports and you just get to watch them exert skills on the playing field. Kind of like when we were talking about love and basketball, you just get to sink into a world where women are physically strong and athletic and competent and able to run fast and catch balls with their bare hands and just embody this like jock life that well, that I think yes. is so rare to see in movies. A girls who are that confident in how they can move and catch and run and swing. Yeah, there's no like this is how you hold a baseball bat. Like, you know, and I love that. And I also love that scene early on in the movie when they're at the um like the training camp where, you know, they're they are making the league that there's so many women that are trying to get into the league and they send a majority of them home. And then uh, you're left with the best of the best. So you would imagine even in that grouping, the people who were sent home were athletic and good and competent, but not as good as these four teams or whatever uh, the grouping was. Yeah, uh, here, we'll, we'll let Rosie and Madonna explain it. What are you looking at? Yeah, what are you looking at? Nothing. Yeah. Right, nothing. All these girls going to be in the league? You wish. You do wish. They're going to have four teams, 16 girls to a team. That's right. 64 girls. Yeah, what are you, a genius? <laughs> you know, they got over 100 girls here, so um, 
Some of you are gonna have to go home. Yeah, sorry about that. Come on, Doris. Those people are jerks. What do you mean, some of us? Do it. Okay, some of them are going home. Hey, how did you do that? Excuse me. Hey, hey, you caught that? Hello? Doris. Did you see? Jeez, let's go practice. She caught him with a bitch. You know, what I love about that scene when you're watching everybody try out for this league in the first place is you look around and all of these girls are in their own different uniforms from their own hometown teams. Like they already have teams that they've been playing in in their hometown. Like Kit and Dottie have their dairy farmers team. But that there's teams all over America that these girls have already being played, been playing in and now they're competing here. Like it lets you know just from the outfits that they're wearing how widespread female athletics are that we've never heard of at this time. Hey, everybody. It's Rob Lowe here. If you haven't heard, I have a podcast that's called Literally with Rob Lowe. And basically, it's conversations I've had that really make you feel like you're pulling up a chair at an intimate dinner between myself and people that I admire, like Aaron Sorkin or Tiffany Haddish, Demi Moore, Chris Pratt, Michael J. Fox, There are new episodes out every Thursday, so subscribe, please, and listen wherever you get your podcasts. I got to say, Amy, I love this movie so much, and I had not seen it, like I mentioned to you, since I saw it in the theater, um, and always had respect for it, always knew it was a great movie, loved my experience seeing it, but this movie is so confident incapable, very much like the team of the Peaches. It, it's, they work through everything effortlessly. And I feel like the writing of this film has all the tropes of things that we know from late 80s, early 90s films, but done to the best degree. I feel like Penny Marshall captured these, what an amazing cross-section of performers like they just all like some become super famous some are famous some they just have a great mix i think it's madonna's best performance hands down on film ever but it really is to me like the perfect mesh of every like it's a great director and a great script and then uh and then these actors it really just it really really works for me um and i think other films could try this and not achieve it on such a high level yeah, I'm trying to pinpoint what makes this film special, you know, because, yes, it touches on a lot of things we've been talking about in our sports films, you know, like movies where you see the team come together, you know, movies where you talk about the love of the game, movies where you show off athleticism, movies where you talk about like complicated friendships within a team, like all of these things we've been looking at, even just in this whole section. And yet I just feel like it does all of them the best. It does all of them better. And it comes in with. I don't know. The word that I keep thinking of is like competency and confidence. It comes just straight in. Like it's not even framing itself as here I am a movie designed to like lecture you or talk about how bad women have been treated through the ages. I'm just here to let you know that women are awesome flat out and not in like kind of a like, oh, I'm Brie Larson, like smirking at you and being like women kick ass and like Captain Marvel, whatever, like that kind of phony bullshit feminism that I think a lot of our like modern day 
women where movies are awesome have. I guess it's because all the modern day movies where women are awesome, they're either like awesome assassins or awesome super beings. And I don't really care. Like, I don't care about an awesome super being. Like, show me an awesome girl who lives in a dairy farm who throws a great like fastball and doesn't need to make a big deal about it. She's like, I'm just great at this. And it's what I do. You know, I will say that I think part of the reason why this movie is successful is because the sports scenes are also shot and sound mixed in such a way like the hit of the bat and the catches they ha- they they have something that is pleasing to my ear like i every time i heard a ball hit off of that wooden bat like there was something very visceral about it like and the way that the entire ending plays uh, you know the basically the the final moment of the film i think we've been living in this world of the movies that we have done, where it's like, oh, well, the sports scenes are done interestingly. They're not as compelling, but the acting is really good. Oh, well, that's really funny, but it doesn't really have any drama. Oh, well, they handled that really well, but they didn't do this. And this is a movie where it's like, I feel like the sports scenes are shot really well. And I don't want to... The performances in this movie are fantastic. And I, I, I'm going to bring up one thing. And talk about it as like a general sense. But I feel like this whole movie is caught right in the middle of a Tom Hanks renaissance. And I feel like that trickles down to every performance, which is like Tom Hanks used to do big, bold, fun comedies, right? Like they were goofy as hell and he was goofy. And then he kind of segues into a much more dramatic fare and he becomes the Tom Hanks that we know now. And he's incredibly great on SNL, but this movie kind of captures that tone of this in the middle Tom Hanks. And I feel like everybody kind of plays in that world where it's like, here is somebody that you know, that is going to be really funny in one scene and then give you a dramatic monologue the next or can kill you with a look like that tone. And that's Penny Marshall too. Like she's kind of navigating everyone in this movie to walk this tightrope of being incredibly funny, incredibly likable, but incredibly real. Like, and it's, I, 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 I applaud her. I don't know why I look at Tom Hanks, but I was like, oh, I haven't seen that Tom Hanks in a while. Like that has that facile, like funny, big, bold, broad, but also can be very grounded as well. That's funny. I hadn't thought about this in, in the context of a transitional Hanks, but it is like, I mean, he told people at the time that he wanted to do this movie because he never had to shave and he didn't have to watch what he ate. And he was like, huh. that's perfect for me. But really what happened is he called up Penny Marshall and he was like, hey, I've just had a couple of flops in a row. Like I did the Burbs and nobody saw it. I did Joe versus the Volcano and nobody saw it because people could not appreciate those two masterpieces oh, in the day. So good. And he said, I need your help. Like I'm worried about my career. Put me in this. And so she did. And then, yeah, it leads like right after this is when he starts this whole streak of like getting back to back Oscar nominations of like being beloved. But it's like she rerouted him like he I feel like he exploded her career by tag teaming with her and making big the movie that it was. And then she kind of returns the favor. They keep each other in alignment, you know, and that's that's a beautiful partnership. Well, I think, you know, oftentimes people put comedy in a box and they put drama in a box and they, they don't want to mix the two. And, you know, Robin Williams, you know, when you look at it, it's like, oh, well, Robin Williams and Jim Carrey, they're these big comedians who then make these very drastic, dramatic turns. And I almost feel like Tom Hanks did it 
slowly, like, I'm going to bring you with me, I'm going to bring you with me, and now I'm going to do something here, and you'll follow me here. And it, it's a little, I think Robin Williams did that as well. Like, I think, you know, Good Morning Vietnam definitely has that high-low, and I feel like by having him do the stand-up comedy sections, which are the radio sections, you were able to then buy into the deeper sections. Um, and, you know, talking about Mike Nichols and a couple weeks ago, like, he obviously was somebody who could take a comedy and and imbue it with drama, but I'm just, I'm kind of odd with Penny Marshall because we talked about big on the YouTube show that we did, uh, the 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 uh, spool party, and she's so again just going back to it, so capable of handling both of these things without making it feel sweaty. Uh, I'm just amazed. I'm amazed. I'm I'm having like I've always spoken about her as being someone that I think is a great director, but I don't know why this one popped. I'm glad that we saved it to the end because it really just it there's something about her doing this that I'm just, I'm kind of in awe of. This film has a callback to the very beginning of our series, which was when A League of, our own, of Their Own was starting to come together as a project um, based on an article that uh, two girls had written about the history of this league that had been forgotten. The first person who was attached to direct it um, back in May of 1990 was David Anspaugh, the director of Hoosiers. He was going to make the first version so of this film. And he had actually already cast two people for it. He was going to have Demi Moore play the lead character. And he was going to have Jim, Jim Belushi play the Tom Hanks character. And you know what? Wow. I don't think I would have liked that movie. Well, it's interesting because I think Demi uh, stayed with the project for a while. Because I think the famous joke that uh, Penny Marshall made was that the reason why she had to drop out was because she got pregnant. And Penny Marshall said, oh, yeah, Bruce Willis literally fucked her out of the job. Oh. Um, but, like, but, you know, there is something about, I, I, I'm going to speak so much love on some of these performances, but Gina Davis is remarkable in this movie. Like, she really is the, the center of the film, and it's a really, really hard role. I think that her performance is an exceptionally hard needle to thread because she doesn't really have that humor side that she can fall into. In in many respects, she is the most straight line of the film, but she's got so many levels in it and she works so well with the cast. But I'm just, I'm in awe of her. And I do have one quick question before we even break her down. She is dubbing the voice of that woman in the beginning, right? Yeah. Okay. So when they have the scenes where everybody is older in the in the framing device, um, what Penny Marshall decided to do was like hire older actresses and not try to age up anybody. Smart. But she did have all of the cast dub their lines so you would know who they were. Brilliant. Like absolutely brilliant and pretty convincing because like the actress who plays um, Gina Davis when she's older pretty much has her cheekbones. Like yeah. two people on earth have Gina Davis's cheekbones and she found the other one who happened to like pass enough for her well i was actually thinking about it a lot because you know gina davis like i said is so good and you're going to cast this woman to play her but not actually act as her and i would imagine that penny marshall has her hands tied to a certain degree because there's only a handful of people who can do it as far as look like gina davis and be the age and be an actress and then you have to be like well can she can she act it like can she act this because in many respects, it's harder. You know, it's like she's got to do the right looks. And and I think she did a really good job. I think that Gina Davis's voice really helps push it forward. And I'm not throwing any shade on this woman, but I'm just, that is yet another thing 
to match. Like you have to match a full performance. And uh, I wonder how they did that if they were able to show her footage because she does, she feels like Gina Davis. Like you feel like the way she carries herself, like I feel like was a beautiful look at what Gina Davis would be like as an older woman. Um, You know, there's a stillness to her. There's something really interesting. Yeah, she frames the part of Gina Davis's character of of Dottie Hinson that I feel like has been really slow to catch up on me, you know, because this character is so layered. And yet the way that she faces the world, the way that she presents herself to the world is not right. Mm. Like Dottie Hinson. Well, first, Dottie Hinson is just like this perfect girl in the town that they live. I mean, I love just this early fight that we have between her and her sister, um, Kit, just arguing about what it's like to be the sister of the girl who's the most gorgeous and most, most athletic and most popular girl in town. Man, Kit, we won. Get mad if we lose. That last pitch was right down the middle. If I just won't get that, I'd be the big hero. But you got me so crazy. All I said was lay off the high ones. Good thing your sister bailed you out, Kit. Heh, <laughs> Kit, why don't you get your sister to teach you how to hit? Kit, why can't you be beautiful like that sister of yours? What dog? idiot said that? No one. But I know that's not what they were thinking. No, it's not. No? You ever hear Dad introduce us to people? This is our daughter, Dottie. And this is our other daughter, Dottie's sister. Should have just had you and bought a dog. Mitch Swaley likes you. Mitch Swaley is one step up from dating pig. What an important step. From this rant, you have this idea of Gina Davis just being this, like, untouchable source of perfection in this town. And what we know of her already from, you know, our opening scenes with older Gina Davis is that she's a person who's kind of stubborn, doesn't really like to leave the house very much, you know, gets set in her ways, but also says about this baseball league that it was never that important to me, that it was just something I did. And in a way, that's kind of how Gina plays the character when she's younger, that baseball is a thing she does, but she won't tell anybody that it's what she loves more than anything else. And yet it is. Like, I think Dottie Henson is such an interesting character because she seems to me like a girl raised to know what the right answer is. Like, the right answer is you love your husband, you want to have babies, that's your priority, baseball is not for you. And she never stops parroting that line throughout the whole movie. The other girls are able to say, like, I love baseball. I want to keep doing this. And she won't do it. She won't do it. She always just keeps acting like it's not a big deal to her because she wants to be that perfect girl for the era. Well, you know? I mean, but, and, I, and, and, but I would argue, though, that it's even a little bit more broad. Like, don't you feel like we all have this this idea of, like, becoming a baseball player is so foreign in the sense of, she has agreed to this life. And if she opens up that door, if she lets herself truly admit what her dream is, she's opening herself to a world of hurt. You know, and I think um, there, I think this is all about self-preservation. And I feel like that's what you see in her is, you know, the moment that her husband comes, like her husband's like, like in another film, you would see Bill Pullman come home and be like, well, what are we doing in this hotel? Get the fuck out of here. We're going to go home and we're going to have a kid. We don't see that from him. We see him as a supportive husband. He's there in the World Series. Like he's rooting for her. She is making these decisions. And I think 
I'm going to go one step further than what you said and say, I believe she's emotionally withholding from herself simply because she can't let herself. I mean, people are like this. I've had moments like that too. It's like, she can't, she doesn't want to let herself feel that joy and that, and that pride. It would, if she didn't achieve the highest level of it, she would come tumbling down. That's why I think that there's an interesting relationship between her and Jimmy Dugan. Like, I feel like, cause she sees like how he did achieve something and then fell down. And, and I do think that that's like a, a ghost of Christmas future to her in a way, you know, again, there's a lot going on, but. Okay. Well, let's really dig into it. Cause it, yeah, like Tom Hanks' Jimmy Dugan is trying to goad her into saying that she loves baseball and he does it several times and she won't do it. Like here's him doing to her on the bus late at night. Listen, when, uh, Bob. Bob comes back. Are you going to keep playing? Oh, no. You could just quit like that? Sure. Because you play like you love it. No, no. Does he know how good you are? Bob? No, Hitler. Yes, Bob. How good am I? You stink. You're lousy. You're only the best player in the league. You don't know that? And now, since you brought up Bob, I want to ask you this. Like, do you think Bill Pullman's Bob is deliberately written to just be a non-entity? Because you're right. Like, there is no scene where he's like, you need to quit baseball. But there's also no scene where he's like, that cool or that amazing. Like, he's such a forgettable dude. Like, he shows up and he's like, hey, I'm Bob. And you would never pick him out of a lineup. And he's not framed to be like this gorgeous guy that you understand why I should give it all up for him. But he's also not framed as a loser. Like, he's... I've never seen a man more nondescript on film than the way Bill Pullman plays this Bob character who's married to the coolest girl on the planet, right? The, I mean, that's got to yes. be deliberate, right? That, that you're just like, that guy? Sure. What? Well, like, he doesn't seem bad, but does he seem that cool? Because I think it's safe, right? I'm going back to my opinion of like, it's safe. He is safe. He is an attractive man who's a supportive man, who is a nice man. And they're going to have a great family and she will be happy. Will she have the best life ever? Maybe not. Maybe so. But it's safe. She is picking the safe route. And every moment, the, the most, the only time she doesn't pick safe is going back. You know, Do you but keep at saying the end, the word safe because we're talking about baseball. Oh wow! Look at that. I didn't. Even, ah. But I mean, <laughs> but don't. But don't you even think like her last move of the of the her last move of the movie, um, not the bookends, but the uh, but like her leaving. Like I'm not coming back. Is playing it safe? No, I did. I had my fun, and now I'm leaving. I I know this person. I see this person, and it's there's nothing wrong with this person. It's just like it's upsetting. It's sad. It's like she's putting herself on the back burner because. There's too many questions in it. There's too much doubt. And and when you look at Lori Petty in that way and her sister, she's not as good, but she's as confident. And sometimes like I look at it from a performing point of view. It's like sometimes you don't need to be as good as you can be confident. And confidence gets you through the door and that ability to show up and get rejected and and come back. You know, there's something really there. And I, that's why I think the end is so hard to figure out who am I rooting for? I don't know who I'm rooting for. And it's a beautiful end because I think it gives you enough on either side. But uh, I was like, I want Gina Davis to win, but I also don't want her to win because she wouldn't do anything good with it. You know, it's like, oh, I want you to win the lotto, 
But if you're just not going to ever spend that money and you're never going to take care of yourself, then, then no, I'll give it to somebody else. Yeah, that's interesting. It's like the difference between most deserving and also most deserving, like the two different types of most deserving. It kind of makes me think of the Oscars. Like there's the movie that's incredibly good and should probably win the Oscar or like a Meryl Streep performance. That's so good. Of course it should win the Oscar. But then the little voice of you inside your head, who's like, no, 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 let's give it to Melissa McCarthy. Right? Right. Yeah. It feels like that to me because Lori Petty like wants and strives and is hungry. Like from the very beginning of the film, she's like, I want to get out of this town. I have to get out of here. And when um, John Lovett shows up as like this talent scout who's such, oh, he's such a wonderful scumbag, isn't he? Amazing. He's such a creep. You know. And by the like, way, recut to be more of a creep. Like they had so much more of him in the film. This movie was like over four hours in its first cut. And it was a performance where they were like, we need to minimize him. And I feel like by cutting out all the excess, you get this. I mean, it's an amazing performance. It's a great, it's one of the best uh, in the film, but it's, um, but yeah, oh, he's a great creep. Yeah. And by the way, speaking of like how she even knew Lovitz in the first place, he wasn't cast in this because of Saturday Night Live or anything. He was cast because when Penny Marshall first moved to LA and she picked up or he picked up Rob Reiner, they picked up each other at Barney's Beanery of all places. How magical is that? Barney's love Beanery it. still being open. Like love that. that this pair fell in love at Barney's Beanery. God bless. That's wonderful. Um, but they got married and they wound up in this kind of comedy circle where like all of his friends are always at her house. And she kind of became the house mother of the comedians here in LA in the seventies, which to her seems really weird. Like she wasn't working at the time. She wasn't in Laverne and Shirley yet. Um, she was just like making dinner for people and cleaning up after them. And it was kind of a circle where the men did all the talking and she was just there. Uh, very strange. Um, but so like after that marriage ended and she got divorced and she got her own house and she was now a star of her own, she would just let her guy comedy friends crash at her place. One of them, not even that funny was Joe Pesci. And then also John Lovitz. So they would crash at Benny Marshall's house and that's how they were all friends. Oh, my gosh. You know that uh, Marissa Tomei also auditioned for a part in this film and was doing it on the set of My Cousin Vinny with Joe Pesci teaching her how to play baseball because every woman in the film had to do not their well, yeah, their own stunts. The only person who had a stunt double was Gina Davis because she does some pretty amazing things that I think you'd need to be a professional athlete to do. The splits, uh, but all, man. <laughs> yeah, that split was intense. Um, but. Uh, so they needed to show that they could actually do this. And I just love the, I want that audition tape so bad of Joe Pesci teaching Marissa Tomei how to play baseball on the set of My Cousin Vinny. Can you just picture him like yelling at her more like, throw it harder. Yeah, I mean, I would love it. That wasn't, that's not, what was that? That was like a bad Boston accent. I don't, I can't do accents. (laughs) I'm not going to try after that. She'd be good, though. I think Marissa Tomei would have fit right Well, clearly Marissa Tomei is the Madonna part, right? Like, I mean, in my mind, like, and you have to go with Madonna uh, in this as well. Yeah. If you're, if you're going between those two and for whatever, yeah, I think the studio is like Madonna. Yeah. I mean, you have to. But like, but no, but back to Kit, like this mm-hmm. idea of Kit at the beginning being like, let me get out of here. Like, please say yes to this job so that I could come with you. That This is a film that makes me really glad that I'm an only child, to be honest. That like when you have a sibling, it seems like to me from what I've interpreted in movies that you're always compared to your other sibling. And that seems like a nightmare. Oh, I mean, I'm an only child too, so I can't speak to it, but I have two children and, you know, we try actively not to make that a thing, but yeah, it is like, uh, it's really on the parents, I think, to make sure that that balance stays 
balanced and not like, oh, he does so good. She does so bad. You know, like you don't, you don't make them fulfill this prophecy. Um, and it was interesting to watch how she was protective of her sister, but she, there, there, that, that relationship is amazing. It is really amazing. It is because, you know, Dot is never nice to Kit. I think she never like is indulgent on her. She never gives her props that I think she wouldn't give anybody else on the team. Yeah. Like when Lori Petty's arm is weak and she can't be throwing balls, she's like, well, you're getting taken out of the game. Like, I'm not going to give you an extra solid because you're my sister. Right. Even at the end when it's like when you know, this being a film, like for most of this movie, I don't think it matters who wins each game, right? Like you're never even paying attention no, to the you don't final know whether, score, yeah. except for the final game when it's like now Gina versus Lori Petty and you're all tense. And she like goes up to the pitcher and she's like, she can't hit high fastballs and like is deliberately using her knowledge of her sister to fuck with her sister to like go even harder on her, like that she doesn't show pity on her in that moment. Beautiful. And yet, even though this causes massive friction between like her and Kit, at the very beginning of the film, very beginning, when like she's leaving her house to go on this trip, you know, old Gina Davis, she has her like grandsons out there and she tells her youngest grandson to like go after it and like kill his little brother. And she's like reinstalling this like sibling rivalry for the next generation. Kill, it's like yeah. kill her, his older brother. Yeah. Yeah. It's like she never learned how to be better. You know, she's like, this is great. You will, you no, will but thrive yeah. under civil rights. But I, yeah, I disagree with you because I think what she's doing is making them better. Right. Because she's well, treating yeah, that's them. That's how she'd frame it even as an older person. Or, right. Yeah. That's how she'd frame it. Like, I mean, because Lori Petty was actually able to hit a real baseball that was pitched to her weakness and score and win, that makes her a better player. And, and that idea of, and this is, I think, something we always wrestle with, like, it's, I mean, I'll talk about it from a parenting perspective, like the idea of helicopter parenting and there's no first place and there's no, uh, you know, everybody is equal. Like it does, that's not great. You need to come in first, second, third, last, whatever it is. Now you don't have to like rub it in and be like, you're a worthless piece of shit because you came in last, but it, it helps you want to achieve something and want to get better. Like we all are in this thing. And, and so when she takes her sister out of the game, she is right. And that actually helps the team. That's better teamwork. And then Lori Petty is unable to deal with it uh, and feels embarrassed and, and, and upset. But the best thing that happened to Lori Petty was to get on another team where there wouldn't even be that dynamic because anyone else would pull her out too. But she takes it as personal because it's her sister, not because it's like another player telling her. So I don't know. I, I think she makes, I think that she takes Lori Petty from being a great baseball player to an amazing baseball player. True, but she does it essentially at the cost of their relationship. I mean, because Lori Petty shows up at the, um, at the National Baseball Hall of Fame things when they're all getting inducted. But you can tell from what Jean has been saying before, then she's not sure she's going to be there, that Lori Petty spends all her time traveling. They're not close. Like they're not in communication. You know, Lori Petty isn't like, I'll meet you there. It's a surprise. So there has yeah. been a trade-off. She's a great ball player, but Gina's not talking to her. They're not on maybe they're on each other's Christmas card list. I mean, but that is the relationship of this movie, right? Like this is you're looking at this relationship because I think we're trained to about, oh, is Tom Hanks and Gina Davis, are they gonna get together? Is there some friction here? And I think truly it's like a coach to coach. It's like it's a coach to player, coach to player relationship because 
They did have a scene where he kisses her. Like, he's out on the mound. She comes out one night. It's a deleted scene. You can find it online. I actually pulled it, but it's a long scene, and I think it plays out better long. So just go watch it if you want to watch it. Um, I, I pulled it. I pulled okay. it. Let's, I think we All should right. torture people with it because it's right. so terrible and it's yeah. and upsetting. Well, you're a ball-playing analyst. Food, air, baseball. That's you. No, no, I just... No, 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 no. I just I like to play. No, I just like to play. What's the matter with you? What are you ashamed of? I'm just not supposed to care that much. It's just a game. No, Pinochle is just a game. This, this is what gets inside you. This is what lights you up. Yeah, okay, yeah. You know, sometimes it, <clears throat> when I'm out there, it does feel perfect. Like I'm, like I'm doing something perfect. And I think... I think I can do anything. I know I can. I can hit anything they throw, and I can catch anything they hit. Yeah. And I'm the best. Yeah. And I love it. I'm sorry. My my knee. I I, I tripped. All right, so you see that scene, a scene that was put into the film under duress, right? Penny Marshall did not want that. The studio wanted a a relationship. What you get instead in this movie is like this, these looks between them, this interesting relationship. And I think as we're talking here, he's into her because he sees what she could be. And he sees when he looks at that guy that he's not that great. And he see like he sees through her. And he's got the experience to be like, you need to be better. I'm going to be rough on you. And that's exactly what Gina Davis is doing to Lori Petty. You need to be better. I'm going to I'm going to attack you where it counts. Now, the only difference is, is that you feel like Tom Hanks is going to get her to come around. But Gina Davis is so closed off that she's not. She's like, no, no, no. I'm I. Yes. You do whatever you want to do, but I'm not. She can't even say when she comes back to the World Series, I love it. I I had to be here. You know, it's like she's incapable of it. And so it's almost like when you put those three characters together, they're each doing to each other what the other is doing. You know, they're parroting each other on some level. I mean, I want to talk about why that kissing scene is so upsetting. Like, I yeah. never knew that that existed until we were prepping for this episode. And to me, it was one of the things I loved best about this movie was that there was never a question of romance between her and Tom Hanks. But there is something, though, right? I mean, there There's is a something. connection. I, I always interpret it as like a respect for the athlete. Like he respected her skills. And when he became somebody she could respect, she respected him back. You know, she didn't for a long time. But yes. like when he stepped up, they saw each other and kind of game recognized game. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like that like that that relationship and I think because we were trained as an audience to feel like, oh, they're going to fall in love or you want them to fall in love. You can be tricked by what they're seeing in each other, which is game recognized game, right? Because it just because it is a male and a female, we're assuming, well, that that's what it has to be. Where if were it was you just, assuming that? Like you really were like, are they going to hook up? Oh, well, no, I'm just talking about like the general you. But I think there is. A, yeah. I think that they leave a lot there. Like when she shows him the picture of him on the bus and they're there late night. There is stuff left unsaid there, too. Like, you know, it's like when she goes to say goodbye to him by the bus, there's a little something. Now, I don't feel it in the scene where he says, 
I've been a drunk for five years and I would give any moment back. Like that feels to me like he's giving her a baseball pep talk and and, a, and a, an athlete pep talk. But the rest of the film, there is this like little glimmer in their eyes, you know, and it, I see it as both ways, but I think it's, I think the movie works to have a little bit of that underscoring it too. Like, but you would never want to see them kiss. And that's why when you see them kiss, it's like, no, you fucked up. Like, how could you ever, rec-? it's, it's wrong. I don't mind like a slight flirt. I guess what I'm saying is I don't mind a slight flirtation or a slight, like we're around each other, but it, it can exist in that level. It's like, you know, like, um, like people say, oh, God, it's like a, it's like a, a work relationship or something like that, where you have this like kind of thing you're with this person all the time, but it doesn't go any further than that, you know. I mean, I don't mind some kind of like sonar esque submarine to submarine blip, like beep, yeah, and it calls back beep, but to actually have them kiss, oh, I hate it, just so devastating, it's it, jarring, like, it gutted me, and it, it and it made me feel like these two people who I had seen come together as people who respected each other eventually, it made it feel like it was all a horrible lie. And it like conflated all of the tensions because in the way that this scene seems to fit into the film, it's like they kiss and then she's like, I have to quit baseball. So it changed it from a movie of like her needing to quit baseball for her like reasons about being married and wanting to live this life to I have to quit baseball to get away from the sexual harassment of this guy who just kissed me. And like she should never leave baseball because of this guy. And it just ruined everything for me. It like deflated the entire movie. I, I think to your point, though, it was never supposed to be in there. The studio forced it in. And I feel like the the um, consolation prize was the what you're just speaking about. The blip. blip. Yeah. You know, like it's it's a little bit it's a little tiny bit undercurrent, which I think is acceptable. But I really believe that why he likes her is because he respects her. It's it's what we don't often see in sports films because there's not people of the opposite sex often, you know, there. It's a cutting edge. I love cutting edge. Great movie. A uh, 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 skating movie. And that movie is about falling in love but also respecting each other, uh, you know, as, as professionals. But I, I don't know. There's something there that I don't mind the way. I just think it's well presented. The way I mean, it is. You, I, you can't blame him. Like, nobody has ever looked better smudged than Gina oh Davis my gosh. does in I mean, Like, her like smudging, insane. it's like she's pre-Kardashian contouring, the way it just kind of uh, blends in her beautiful it, face. It's ravishing. It's, it's I, great. It, there's a movie actually coming out um, now. It's called The Outside Story. It has mm-hmm. Brian Tyree Henry in it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, and there's a little, there's kind of a reference to what we're talking about now in the film, where he's like, he plays this guy who gets locked outside of his apartment all day and he has to befriend people and he's going through a breakup. And there's like a, um, like a cop he befriends while he's out there played by Sunita Manny. And the two of them having to spend hours together of like her wanting to ticket him, him arguing about it leads to a moment kind of like what we're talking about in the film, the, the like, are they going to kiss moment? And I just absolutely love how that film handles it. Like it handles it perfectly. Uh, people need to see that film, The Outside Story. It's really wonderful. It's kind of okay. like, to me, it feels like a metaphor for what it's going to be like to leave our houses now um, right. and like reconnect with the world. But yeah, like to see that movie acknowledge the fact that men and women don't have to like hook up in a movie was so wonderful that I wanted to cheer and to have that inserted into this movie in the deleted scenes and feel so grateful that Penny Marshall Marshall was able to cut it out and not have that be a factor is just such a relief. You well, know, it like, just it just goes to show you that people didn't have confidence in a movie that is like this. And this is what we're talking about. This is a movie not about a man teaching a woman how to do something. This is not a movie about I want to take the sex out of it truly. And 
and to say this is a team movie. There's not, like yes, they are women, and that adds an interesting element to the film. But this is about women in this time, and there and and I think there's a beautiful moment in this film when they're playing, and um, you know that black actress like tosses the ball back, and you know that the ball is like really well thrown, and they catch it, and and uh, and you get oh wow. So they, you're, you're constantly reminded like, oh, and then yet there's yet another barrier here as well. Like, right. That's really like deftly done. Like it's like, yes, Penny Marshall has made this film that's about exclusion. And then even within it, she reminds you that you haven't seen any black female characters in here because they were excluded even from this excluded group. And watching you know, the black yeah. actors or the actresses on where they are, like they're in that kind of far, they're not even in the stands and they're, it's like, oh, and to think that that's where they're going because they love it so much and they can't be like, like oh, there's so yeah. much done in, in a wordless scene. Yeah. Yeah. The actress who throws the ball back at her, who um, from everything I can see is not credited, which is a bummer. I'd like to be able to credit this actress because yeah. she is able to convey in her expression, like, pride and defiance. Like I'm even better than you are, you know, there's this yeah. knowledge and this weariness. And what do you see here for like five seconds? And it carries an entire narrative. A hundred percent. And so like, just to back to that point that I was saying, do you agree that like, yes, the backdrop is that this is a unique situation, but the core of this movie, the dramatic push and pull of this film it's a team movie. It's it, like you wouldn't you wouldn't think, oh well, Walter Matthau is going to hook up with one of the kids in Bad News Bears, or or oh, I, I uh, would, hey. or, or or conversely, like oh, or Paul Newman's going to hook up with somebody on the team in Slapshot. But that's that's the way that the film treats it, which I love. Like it, like you can have a star player and a coach, and there's a there's a connection between the two of them. Um, Anyway, when that's, you frame I, it that way, when you frame it with Paul Newman and in Slapshot, it just makes me even more irritated. They tried to squeeze that in. It's like, well, but, come on. Well, that but then that's what the kind of the beauty of this movie is. This movie is a traditional sports film. Yes, the variables are different. Like, but it is, I think, like you could put all men in this and ultimately get a very similar film, right? I mean, it's because it is. I mean, I know it, I'm, I'm, they take away all the bells and whistles. I'm just saying like, but it's like, it is about the team. It's about this. It's these people coming into their own in so many ways. And I think what's so deftly done about it is that she's able to do a film that is completely a unique sports film, but then also speak to all these issues that are about exclusion, about the idea like, oh, you have to be squeaky clean. You can't just be, you can't be a, a, a sports player who you know, doesn't like when they're, it's so degrading that, that newsreel when they're pouring tea and they're, you know, like they're, they're being shown as this novelty act or whatever they are. And they had to go to charm school. Like meanwhile, baseball yeah. players like Tom Hanks's character could be drunk for five years professionally. No one gave a fuck about it. Like, so I love that idea that like, yes, at the base it's this. And then on top of that, it's this. And then on top of that, we have like the, the culture in which it's all happening as well. Yeah. It's like a layer cake. I mean, Okay, let's play that newsreel, Diamond Gals, because it just cracks me up. And it to me, I feel like you hear this kind of talk still a lot, like patronizing compliments where you think you're celebrating something that you are not celebrating. On the home front, they find them everywhere. North, east, south, and west, and even Canada. Players for the new All-American Girls Baseball League. 
After the first month of league play, the shine still isn't off these diamond gals. Alice Skeeter Gasper says legging out a triple is no reason to let your nose get shiny. Betty Grable has nothing on these gals. Helen Haley has not only been a member of several championship amateur teams, she's also an accomplished coffee maker. With her husband in the Pacific, Betty Horn enjoys cooking spaghetti and knitting. Her teammates call her Betty Spaghetti. Ellen Sue Gottlander is a former Miss Georgia. Yow. Then there's pretty Dottie Henson, who plays like Gehrig and looks like Garbo. Uh-uh, fellas, keep your mitts to yourself. She's married. And there's her kid sister, Kit, who's as single as they come. Enough concentrated oomph for a whole carload of Hollywood starlets. And how about Marla Hooch? What a hitter. What a league! But girls playing baseball? By the way, uh, Betty Spaghetti is Tracy Ryder. She's actually Betty Marshall's daughter, and she auditioned for the part and got it. She went to one of those athletic tryouts and did very well, and Penny Marshall was like, okay, if you want to, you can be in my film. And by the um, way, another great uh, actor in that newsreel as well that we have not mentioned, Harry Shearer. Harry Shearer did all the newsreel voices uh, and yet was not the announcer at the actual game. Uh, so I thought that was interesting as well. But yeah, that idea of teamwork, like that's what to me makes this film so beautiful. Like the unity, you know, that when say Kit and Dottie are like on the road with John Lovitz and he doesn't want to let Marla play on the team because he doesn't think she's pretty enough. That unspoken, without even coordinating it, they both put their suitcases down in, in protest to say that he either Marla goes or they don't go. You know, that kind of yeah. buddyship or... And I'm blanking on the name of the character who does it, but when they're all trying to check their um, sign-up sheets to see if they got onto a team, and one of the girls realizes very quickly that one of the other girls doesn't read and like goes over there and kind of quietly helps her find her name. Just the way these girls are looking out for each other throughout the whole film, you know, and not like they're delicate and need help, but just that they're doing it because they believe that the other person is skilled and they want to help that other person succeed. Yeah. That's to me just like incredibly moving. I think one of the best sequences in the film is when they sneak out to go party, right? Like, and, and what they do to party and how they party. And, and you get to see them in such an interesting way. I, I think, I mean, I'm so, there's so many parts of this film that are so ahead of its time. And because they don't call that much attention out to it, like everything is there for you as an, a smart audience member, like to take in, like, you know, so the way that they party is just as bold and, and excited as anyone else, you know, their 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 dream isn't to go sit around and knit. You know, they want to get drunk, they want to sing, they want to dance. Yeah. Madonna and, like makes out with dudes and then pounds a beer and then goes back to making out with dudes. I it's love beautiful it. Beautiful that Rosie it, is tossing guys around on the dance floor. That they're just like living, and that Marla gets to fall in love. I you love know that, that Marla meets the man and she's crooning to him, and it's so sweet, like. They just get to live and express. And it feels like they're getting to have fun that they didn't even necessarily get to have back home. Well, I guess my question is, do you think that, and this is going back to the whole thing about, uh, you know, Gina Davis's character, this ability to be who they really want to be, to break out of the mold society has put them in. Yes, they may be playing in barns and they may be playing in secret leagues, but to have this celebrity, this success, this, you know, this, this, I'm living my dream allowed them to actually 
truly be who they wanted to be, like break all those molds. And I think going back to Jean Davis, she was a f- never was going to be able to do that. She couldn't. She couldn't do that. She she was too resigned to being logical. Yeah, there's know, like an like, irony that she's the best person on the team, but the worst at being herself. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's almost like she separates her talent from herself. And and I think Tom Hanks is trying to say, you are your talent. Like, be who you want to be. The mo- the one thing the movie did cut out, I know that we are happy that the kiss was cut out, but the one thing the movie cut out was that Gina Davis married Bill Pullman the night he went, we, he was going off to war. Mm. So I thought that was a very interesting part of her character that I think actually would add a little bit more to it. Like, she did this thing that she wasn't, you know, I guess it would make it, like, oh, is this the right man for her? Which maybe open up some other things, but it feels so right for her character. Like, well, he's going off to war. I should marry him or, you know, or I should say yes. Or, you know, like she made a sacrifice on some level because that's what she does. Her character makes sacrifices every step of the way and never really puts herself out in front except for playing in the last game of the World Series. You know, um, you know, which. Yeah, they, she's really they caught made, up in duty. Yes. You know? And these are girls who are like trying to break rules. I mean, the, maybe the greatest sacrifice she does is like doing the splits to get the team more attention when she's not a doing splits showboat kind of person, right? Yeah. Like it's out of character for herself to do well, something like that. Or, I, is I it, would, or is that the full her she should be embodying? I, I think what happens is that is the full her that happens to get caught on film, right? Like the only reason why... I think the way the movie kind of tells it is, yes, that's an amazing play, but then it's on the cover of like Life or Time or whatever it was on the cover of. And that, like, it's almost like, it's almost like, uh, this is a terrible, terrible, terrible reference, but I'll make it. It's almost like Bradley Cooper going into that bar and seeing uh, Lady Gaga sing that song. Like, she doesn't know, like, she's not doing it for it. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, he just happens to be there at the right time. He sees her and then she becomes super famous. Like, so she does this thing that is natural to her, but she's not expecting, she doesn't, she's not a showboat to get the league better. She just happens to make a move that then is captured. And everyone's like, how can we not love this person? She is amazing. And then they go forward. I only reference <laughs> things from Star is Born, the remake. As well, you should. I mean, that's why it really knocked me out to learn that a lot of the injuries these actresses have were actually real. Like, you know, when you see that part where they're trying to touch up the bruises on the girl's legs, when the girl has a bruise that's like the Ooh, size yeah. of a dinner plate, that's like an actual bruise. Like these women were getting destroyed. By the way, that bruise lasted for a year. Oh, my God. I mean, yeah. no wonder they didn't want like to do this in skirts. You know, seeing that those injuries were, were real, I, I think almost like Gina Davis doing the splits underlines how terrible their uniforms were to play in, right? Oh, absolutely, like, yeah. what a nightmare. And I love how just straight up they heckle them and they're like, oh, we're stuck. I mean, a lot of these rules I was reading about that these women were supposed to like abide by, you know, that they weren't allowed to have short hair. They weren't allowed to smoke. They also had to do more rules than you even see in the film. They had to wear lipstick every day, every time they were in public or they got fined. And the girls wow. here are not wearing lipstick all the time. Thank God. Um, it also barred them rooming together in a lot of scenarios. Oh, a lot of these rules were because the people who ran it were really nervous about, they were calling it quote unquote masculine, masculinization, but it really means they're worried that people are going to think the league was made of lesbians. 
And at the time, their way around the idea of people thinking that these players were lesbians was to, you know, have them perform very feminine activities in public, have them seem hyper-feminine. And if they learned that any of these girls were a couple, they either fired them or moved them to different teams. They called their husbands to take them home. They tried to keep women who fell in love separate. Wow. Interesting. Wow, wow, wow. Oh, and also, like, even addition to that, um, in their handbook, they told the girls, like, here was their code of behavior. There's an old saying that the customer is always right. This, in a sense, also holds true to the baseball fan who exercises the right to talk to you without knowing you, to shout at you from the stands, and to voice his opinion, good or bad, of the play on the field. After all, he is your customer, and he feels that you, as a player, and the team belong to him. So they're basically telling women, like, love your trolls. You have to love your trolls. And just, like, be nice to everybody, no matter what. I mean, do you think they're telling that to Babe Ruth? Like, you have to be nice well, to no, the dudes but, who yell mean shit at you? But that's the thing. It's, like, this idea that, like, women are forced to be nice, right? They they have to be nice. It's, like, and I can tell you this from a personal experience. Like, I went to go meet Sam. I didn't go to meet. Sam Jackson was shooting on my block where I lived in New York City. And I remember like I happened to be walking down my block as he walked out of his trailer and I like I quickly grabbed something. I was like, hey, can I have an autograph? And he's like, no. <laughs> and uh, and and there there was nothing. He was not mean. He was just matter of fact. And it was like, I got it. Cool. Now, if that was. Uh, a, a woman, I think a woman has to go through so many more hoops like, oh, she's a bitch. Like, fuck her for doing. It. But like you respect the man for being. I'm just saying that you, the general, I'm, you know, I'm just talking about it, but I think that there's an attitude like that. Like it's just terrible. It's like this idea, like, you know, why, why is that double standard there? It's like, we, we, pre, like, we want the women to be like, well, yeah, they, they have to put up with it. Even if we're being grossos, like they got to, you know, we, they, they, they owe us at least that it's so disgusting. It super is. It super is. And, but there was still something about just seeing it like written out. That really hit me in the gut. Like, oh my God. And it's interesting because apparently a lot of the women who played in the league, it really is true that they didn't tell their husbands they ever did it. You know, it just was a thing that they compartmentalized in their life and kind of kept it low key. They didn't talk about it with like their coworkers if they got, if they had coworkers later, like it, it somehow was a thing that they blocked out which I find really striking, but I guess that's what they're trying to convey in Gina Davis's character. You know, like there wasn't space to incorporate this into your life for all of the women. Yeah. Yeah. I will say I've met a Rockford peach. Oh my gosh. Really? Uh Uh-huh. It was like a super exciting moment in my life. Uh, You know, Gina Davis has that film festival every year, the Bentonville film festival that's like sponsored by Walmart. Yeah. Yeah. It's really weird. I went there for its second year and wrote a big piece about just how strange it is that it's like feminism sponsored by um, YoPlay. You know, it's it's madness. But like as part of the event, you know, they show a league of their own on a baseball field. So like everybody comes out this baseball field and watches it. And then not only that, but then they do an exhibition game like the next day where Lori Petty was there and a bunch of the original like Rockford Peaches were there. Gina Davis was there and they played softball and we all got to like hang out and watch them play. at Whoa. A field. It was so, 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 so cool. And I met um, a real Rockford Peach named Sue Parsons. And I asked her like how the film, you know, compared to her reality. And the one thing she said was our manager didn't scratch his balls. <laughs> 
All right, there you go. Yeah. Uh, she seemed very uh, protective of it. I mean, we know from this film, that's Tom Hanks' number one job. Nice piece of coaching, Jimmy. I especially like that move in the fifth inning when you scratched your balls for an hour. Well, anything worth doing is worth doing right. Yes, indeed. Until you did that, I couldn't tell if you were drunk or dead. made very clear to me what I'm supposed to do here. I smile, wave my little hat, and I did that. So when do I get paid? Now, Jimmy, you have some pretty good ball players here. If you want to give them a little bit of your... Ball players? I haven't got ball players. I've got girls. Girls who want to sleep with after the game, and I'm not with your coach during the game. I mean, he definitely is... You know, really embrace, like we said, he didn't have to watch what he ate and he could, uh, you know, not shave. And I feel like you definitely, he brings that energy to himself. And I think, you know, Tom Hanks, it does a interesting job at like being a drunk, but being a functional drunk. Like it, look, it's, I think he makes being a drunk a little bit more fun. Like when you first see him in that first meeting where he's just kind of like reacting to the brightness out, like, and, you know, putting his head under the water fountain, like you're getting to see, you're getting that orneriness. But what I really loved about the performance was he didn't just become a nice guy. Like, I think the last line you hear of him is like, who's in my seat? You know, like, you know, like it's, you were when they're going to the world series, like you still need batting practice. Like, yeah, his personality doesn't change. Like he's just, and he's a horrible sexist. Like, oh yeah, yeah, horrible, horrible. But but he is, but you know he sticks with the league. You know, like there there and there is a there is a a definitely definitely an arc. But in a weird way, it's like it's there's so many other fun arcs. I I do want to just again just call it Madonna and say that you know she plays this character like this kind of uh, you know this. I don't even know if this term is acceptable to say, but like a sex pot kind of a character, you know, is going through guys all the time. And I just don't know. I don't know why Madonna works in this movie better than any other movie. I guess this and who's that girl, right? But everything else that she's in never really, mm-hmm. it never clicks. I don't know if it's like, I always feel like Madonna is a little bit from the past. And so to feel her in this thing, like I feel like, oh, she's exactly right. She's hitting it exactly right. But when you watch her in like Shanghai Surprise, which is also in the past, I I think that she, yeah, I don't know why this movie captured her kind of perfectly. Yeah. I mean, I'm a gigantic Madonna fan. Sure. I think the last concert I got to see was Madonna. She played here before all COVID broke loose. Um, I adore her. And I also think this is like her best movie. You know, Desperately Seeking Susan is wonderful. But here she's just so funny. You know, right. and she seems just so kind of with it and clever and kind of zinging around. And I don't know if it's like she doesn't like carrying the whole weight of a film usually or she doesn't like embodying a whole character. But I think it's striking that this is her best performance at a moment when I think she's under more scrutiny than she will ever be in her career before or after. You know, like this movie comes out the year that Madonna releases Sex, right? Mm. And that is the year where I think kind of all hell continues to break loose on Madonna. You know, she's been through the scandal with like, was it Pepsi canceling her contract, canceling her because of her um, like a prayer video where she's making out with the priest played by the guy in Cool Runnings. Lovely callback to earlier parts of the series. But you can't even compare that, like the outrage of the Catholic Church to everything that happened with sex. Like that book where it's like Madonna posing naked with vanilla ice with like everybody on the planet. 
I cannot wait until like this generation reframes it as such a powerful, bold feminist act and like replaces Madonna in the pantheon of incredible genre defying female performers. Because to do something that bold, you know, and also do this like charming movie about baseball in the same year, to me that encapsulates like everything I just love about Madonna, you know? Right. And so when this film comes out, like everybody is just, I mean, the Madonna-ness of it is kind of what people are talking about more than anything, you know? Like there's this whole weird interview I found where it's like this like small town weather guy trying to interview Madonna, but she's hiding behind Rosie O'Donnell. So he's really just interviewing Rosie O'Donnell while Madonna whispers things into his ear. She, she was wondering if perhaps maybe after you're done with the weather, you and her could go get a nice glass of Evian somewhere. Oh, Evian. Okay. Well, we're trying to do that. Are, are you serious about this? or Now, is Rosie coming along? No. Um, she wants to know if you have a bottle of Evian. It's just sort of a reference to her film. <laughs> <laughs> we're fresh out. Uh, we're fresh out. However, however, we do have a Channel 14 autographed Frisbee from David James and Mike Blake. Would that We do? have been wanting one of those, haven't we? Okay, if you guys will come back yes, at, she said. If you guys will come back at six o'clock, I'll hand over the goods. We will, Jeff. We promise, don't we? Don't we? Oh come on, Madonna. Go in for it. You're fun loving, all American. I love baseball. I love the people of Evansville. Please Okay, well, Mike, I think the whole thing is going to right. Madonna, not even a peep on the air here. Mike Blake would really love to hear your voice. Just just sing a, sing a line from a song. Come on, Vogue. Let your body move to the room. All right, well, Mike, uh, the whole thing is going to right here. Thank you both. Can I just say, now I'm going to sound insane, but that video sent me on this whole tear, uh, just like researching and celebrating the friendship between Madonna and Rosie O'Donnell. Did it they- lead you to our Shirio Paul's recreation of them on Arsenio Hall? No, but I, okay. Are we going to build to this? Because I found the, the Arsenio Hall. Or what? Well, that I, we just did the, re- when I did our Shirio Paul, we recreated that interview because it was so kind of crazy and random. And they, like they were there, they had this amazing like, chemistry. Yeah. They really did. Okay, wait, let's play this. And then I want to hear whatever you're talking about. The whole thing is online and I highly recommend just watching the whole thing. But here's it. It's great. How does a friendship begin? How did you all click? Well, me and Ro have a lot in common. Right. Like? Well, we both lost our mothers at a really young age. Mm -hmm. And we both were raised in large Catholic families. And we both slept with foreign baby. (laughs) (laughs) That was the the initial bonding thing. But, um, and also we, you know, I knew we became friends when Madonna started to share a candy with me. Oh, right? She shared my hot tamales. She shared her hot tamales. On the other hand, we don't like a lot of the same things. That's true. I like? mean, we, I mean, no, that's not what I meant. I mean, <laughs> what I meant is, on the other hand, we don't agree on anything. Not on anything, mostly on movies. She has horrible taste in movies. No, you have horrible. She has Walt Disney taste in movies. I do not. I do not. She's Bart, a loser okay, when it comes Bart to and Fink. What the hell was that love movie? Love that movie. I didn't understand the whole thing. Because it was intellectual. All right, I hated that movie. Okay, Far and Away. Loved it. Sleeping. <laughs> I just think their friendship is so touching. You know, that they like kind of needle each other, elbow each other. Maybe they have kind of a kitten daddy relationship. That well, they like I think- make fun of each other, make each other better, make each other like more outgoing. They're just, they have each other's back. I, I agree with you. And I, maybe in my also reading into it and saying like, I also think that like Madonna like knew that Rosie O'Donnell 
was gay too. Mm -hmm. And I think was like feeding into certain things and pulling like when you watch them on Arsenio, there is this undercurrent. Like now that we know what we know, Mm -hmm. where I think that Madonna, like Madonna is very open with her sexuality. And I feel like that may be a person that they could really, they could really vibe with and yet be protected. But also, I don't know. I, I think that there is a little bit of that as an undercurrent. I could be wrong, but that's how I read it. And no, I think you're exactly right. Because like, there's a part where Arsenio is interrogating Rosie. Like, what kind of men do you yeah. like? And the the way Madonna looks at her and just is snickering quietly yeah. and making jokes about it. Absolutely, I know. right? Well, let's hear that version of that moment on uh, Arsenio with Adam Pally as Rosie O'Donnell and <laughs> Alison Brie as Madonna. On the other hand... We don't agree on anything. Not anything. Mostly on movies. She has horrible taste. No, you have horrible. She has Walt Disney taste in movies. I do not. I do not. So when it comes to movies. Barton Fink, what the hell was that movie? Love that movie. I didn't understand the whole point. Because it was intellectual. Oh, I hated that movie. Okay, Far and Away. Loved it. Loved it. Sleeping. Uh, have you seen The Lovers? You know, I became really stalkery. Thank you for that, Paul, by the way. Yeah, that was there beautiful. You go. Like, they're still friends. Like this winter, one of Madonna's kids had a birthday party and it looked like the only other adult who was there besides Madonna was Rosie O'Donnell. I love that. How beautiful is that? Like to me, this is a movie about female friendship just capped off by this female friendship. I just want to know everything about. I just want to like be a wine cooler at the floor of their feet while they make fun of each other. I love that relationship. I'm glad that we got that relationship. And I feel like you're right. We're looking back on so many things. We talked on this on the Promising Young Woman episode too, like how history will judge the blatant misogyny and sexism that we added to so much of our art and our entertainment. And and in a movie and in a world where this gets through at this time, makes even more impressive because it holds up to this moment, this day. And I love the I love that there's a kid there and a, a mom who had to bring her kid on the road, you know, and it, it doesn't because make that. Because the dad was too busy applying for jobs. Yes. <laughs> I mean, if there's not an analogy to how mothers had to step up during COVID this year, what is? I know. And that's to me like what... Uh, it's so cool about it because it's no drama. There's no there's no drama in this movie that is based in shit like that. You know what I'm saying? Like a, a lesser movie would be like you would have a breakdown scene there. Like they it's just what their life is and how they have to deal with their life. You know, and it's it's um, I think that keeps it light, but also very real. Right. Like, you know, you have single moms. Or, you know, moms who have to do all this sort of stuff. You have uh, you have people who don't like they they are able to cover a lot of different types of relationships and and points of view without making it like I'm hitting you over the head. I'm hitting you over the head. Yeah, Look how it hard it is. It never feels like yeah. a lecture. It never feels like a lecture. It's just that the mom has to take her kid on the road and the kid's a dick. It's not like the kid has a cold. You know, yes. It's just that the kid sucks. Oh, I mean, when, Which, when Tom Hanks throws that fucking mitt at him, I was like, and you, I loved it. It's like, yeah, fucking hit that kid. Knock him over. Yeah. It was great. Well, this is then this is what I want to ask you. Like, is it weird to you that this is a film where pretty much all of the men suck or are boring? Like Tommy well, comes in and I he's a waste of space. And like the Wrigley or the Wrigley analogy, the guy who owns the candy bar factory, um, he doesn't really care that much about the team. Like the little boy sucks. There's that other little boy who like picks no. up Gina when she's trying to hitchhike and he's like a total sleazebag. Remember this kid? Thanks for the ride, kid. What's your rush doll, buddy? What do you say we slip in the back seat make a man out of me. What do you say I smack you around for a while? Can't we do both? 
Which, by the way, I, I want to think that that's a callback to Sullivan's travels, the crazy kid who picks him up on the road, do you think? Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Ma- yeah. I wonder. Yeah. I mean, I feel like with uh, Gantz and Mandel, they might actually, that might actually be true. But I will say this. Um I would love to have been in this movie. John Lovitz is amazing in this movie. It's a great Tom Hanks performance. I think David Strathairn is, uh, or St- if I'm pronouncing the name wrong, I apologize, is great. And I'm a sucker for Gary Marshall. I think he does a great job too. Like They are, I think they're unspectacular men played by great actors who make their parts uh, interesting without being one note. Right. Like they all have a little bit of a flavor to it. Uh, I think da- definitely David Strathane or uh, again, I mispronounced his name in a different way this time, uh, does a great job there. But I wanted to say one other thing. This is the perfect film for Penny Marshall to direct in many ways, because I think making a movie is like going to summer camp, is like being on a team. You are in a different location with a bunch of people that you don't know. You have to move together. You have to function as a unit. And you have to bring your life with you. You know, um, you know whether that is kids, whether that is, you know, this this pushball. It's your dream, but you're putting your life on hold. You're, you're making sacrifices to do this thing that you dream of. And whether or not it will be received well or not is a whole different ballgame. But that, to me, is what I love about this movie, I mean, and not that you have to be an actor to understand it, but I feel like that's to me what Penny Marshall is, why she's so adept and so subtle and so smart with all this sort of stuff. You can have a relationship between, uh, you know, different people on set, actors on set or director and, and, and actor, you know, whatever it is that doesn't have to always be romantic, but it can, but you are in each other's business so much. Yeah. I mean, honestly, watching this film made me want to be nosier to my friends to be more Mm. like in everybody's business and to be more helpful. Cause like to watch this team kind of come together, people be like, I know what you need. I'm over here. I'm pushing you in this way to watch people do that. As a friend, I think I tend to be a little bit reticent. Like I give everybody Mm. so much space and watching this movie this week made me think, what if I gave people a little bit less space, but I was more proactive in being on their team of life. Does that make sense? I love that. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um, by the way, speaking of like Rosie getting interrogated about her boyfriends, the scene that I loved, I think extra this time, that I don't think ever hit me as hard as it did, which by the way, when I watched this movie, I cried three times. Now, like I think I cry more every single time I see this movie, but it's when Rosie O'Donnell's on the bus and she's showing off pictures of her boyfriend and her boyfriend just sucks and she knows he sucks. And you realize that because she has this team, she realizes that because she has this team, She's better than this, that there are weird girls out there. This scene I just find so beautiful. We have to play it. I think you could teach it to me. Doris, is this your boyfriend? Yep. Is it out of focus? No, that's how he looks. Well, you know, looks aren't the most important thing. That's right. The important thing is he's stupid, he's out of work, and he treats me bad. <laughs> then why? Why? What do you think? Because, you know... None of the other boys ever, uh, always made me feel like I was wrong, you know? Like I was some sort of a weird girl or a strange girl or, well, not even a girl, just because I could play. I believed them too, but not anymore, you know? I mean, look it. There's a lot of us. I think we're all all right. We are. Give me that. Charlie, 
Yeah, I wish I would have even like accepted that seed more as a kid because I think growing up, one of the great gifts has been realizing that there are a lot of weird girls out there. And this movie told me that there are a lot of weird girls out there and it didn't sink in. But like growing up and going through my 20s and meeting my other weird girls and forming our weird girl collective has been the entire world. So I wish I would have registered this 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 scene more when I first saw it when I was little. Hey everybody, it's Rob Lowe here. If you haven't heard, I have a podcast that's called Literally with Rob Lowe. And basically it's conversations I've had that really make you feel like you're pulling up a chair at an intimate dinner between myself and people that I admire, like Aaron Sorkin or Tiffany Haddish, Demi Moore, Chris Pratt, Michael J. Fox. There are new episodes out every Thursday. So subscribe, please, and listen wherever you get your podcasts. So Amy, totally off topic, but I was thinking about this movie. And, you know, this is a big movie when it comes out People love it, and we were saying that like it's really hit everything good about a movie of this time. But the one area it didn't really hit is having a song in the film that then becomes like this number one song. What I believe, are you talking about? Are well, you the, crazy? But is it in? Okay, this is my thing. Is it in the film though? Or is this it just used on to the be film? my playground. I assume you're referring to this used to be my playground yes, by Madonna. But, well, I assume that you're not referring to like this song now and forever from the opening, which to me like hammers home that all of the movies from this time period have a terrible song in the first 10 minutes. So, but do you think that Now and Forever is a terrible song? Yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can love a movie and be like, your music stank, bro. Well, I mean, it, like, I don't understand why all these movies had these, like, I feel like it was such a early 90s, late 80s thing of like a car pulling out of the driveway. Like, why do we need to see the car traveling to the next location? They do it in Karate Kid. They do, I mean, that's early yes. 80s. But there's such this, why do we need to see... Like, yeah, we get it. You're traveling to the next location. Okay, well, I guess no, what I was saying... No, but it feels like it's something like, this is an all-American story, and we will show you the Midwest to prove that it is an all-American story. Have some trees and an empty road. Like, like, what is that with a sports film? I'm also like, why did she need to take a bus? How far away was she that she needed to take a car to a bus? To the bu- <laughs> like, like, come on, drive... Drive your mom to the Cooperstown Hall of Fame. Yeah. Uh, Wait, have I, all of the sports films that we've done had a white picket fence in them? Maybe I mean, I'm losing my mind, but I this don't one think had cool a white Runnings picket did. fence. You yeah, don't think I, Cool Runnings had a white picket fence? I don't think they had a white picket yeah. fence in Cool Runnings. Fair enough. Uh, Everything else did. Everything else. I'm going to say it's a white picket fence genre. Well, I guess what I was saying was like, I didn't feel hit over the head by the song. Like, I guess like the Carol King song and the Madonna song definitely is not in the movie. Uh, it's over the credits. That it's over the credits. Okay. I mean, I feel like it could have been over the movie. Like it could have been as she's looking at the right. diamond. I mean, the this used to be my playground over a baseball diamond. To me, that's a one in one. You're like, yes, I played here. It was yeah. the grounds in which I played. By the way, interesting fact that Madonna was the only 
performer in the film that did not perform for the crowd during the World Series sequence in the film. Every one of the uh, main actors in the crowd kept that crew entertained. Because, you know, one of the worst things that you'd have to do, I think, you know, background work is such uh, a difficult job because you are kind of herded around and you are not taken care of the way that is always the most comfortable or best. And these people are outside in these bleachers, in period clothes. I can imagine it was so awful. And our cast in this film decided to perform for them. Tom Hanks did puppet shows. Rosie O'Donnell did stand-up. And Madonna refused to sing, which I kind of get. Like, I don't know if you want to hear a Madonna acapella. I love Madonna. I'm a big Madonna fan, but I don't know if that's her strength. It's not like... She's, I mean, like, she doesn't do a vocal range for less than $10,000. Like, of course. Why should she? She's Madonna. Although I did hear that Rosie O'Donnell would sing Madonna songs instead. Yes. And that yes. Madonna would get incredibly angry about it. Be like, stop singing my songs. Oh, I, by the way, if you want to hear what it sounds like when Rosie O'Donnell sings Madonna, she actually did that on that same Arsenio Hall episode that we keep talking about. This oh is Rosie gosh. singing Vogue. Madonna, like when you're Madonna at the height of being Madonna, yeah, yeah, these these guys don't get a free song, right? Can I say that? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's very hard for me to say. Like, there's something where I feel like if you're Madonna and you appreciate these people, and I, I think that she does appreciate these people. I think at the end of it, you go, you know what? I'm gonna bring out my crew, and we're gonna do, I'm gonna do like three songs for them. I'm going to like do it up for them and say, thank you. You got to see like a private Madonna concert. But again, that's, it's so difficult. I mean, you know, it's difficult to judge like why she would or would not do that. Um, I mean, it but, feels like this was a moment where people were also a little mean, like people could have thrown stuff at her. Like, I, I don't know if you're Madonna, like, do you want to enter a, a motley mob where oh, God not, knows not what a bunch happen? of, it's a bunch of paid extras. They're not a motley mob. Uh, you know, they're there because they're working, you know? I guess. I mean, you're saying that all extras are not motley. Uh, no, as somebody who works with a lot of background performers, they are not motley. They are they are just doing the work. They're doing the work, the hard work. Okay. What about extras who aren't in LA? What about extras who are in like a, a ballpark scene? Amy, you don't think there's one I, drunk Amy, dude I who's gonna Madonna? I did a movie that was uh called Year One, and we were shooting in the swamps of uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. And uh, and they would get extras by going to the local Target and Walmart and saying, you want to win a free TV? And they would do a raffle every night. So they would get extras that were only there to get a free TV. And I have to say, when we would have like 125 extras on set just to be crowd, they were... Uh, Unbelievably nice. Unbelievably, they, they, they were, like, I mean, look, you know, there's a lot of reasons why, you know, they're, they are, you know, uh, I, I was always some impressed by people's decorum. Now, uh, that being said, there were some things that were happening in the, uh, the background holding area that was a little bit more untoward. But besides, but when they were on set, they were great. So now you're just saying Madonna's mean. I'm not saying she's mean. I'm just saying she could have bent over a little bit to uh to bent to over do... a little bit. Oh man, now I really stepped in it. Uh, <laughs> I guess I'm just saying she could have she could have maybe been a little bit more flexible. Oh, uh, to uh to just do something fun for them. I mean, like you know, look, that's a that's a pretty a little more handy. flexible. She's very flexible. Oh my gosh, I, mean, I know. I, get... I really. 
You should have been warned before we started this episode that I spent quarantine buying vintage Madonna shirts off eBay. Oh, I am yeah. I am a Madonna I am a Madonna fan. I will not say anything bad about Madonna. I think that Madonna is one of the most interesting performers we've had. I think that she's inspired so many people. She is one of the greats. Uh, but again, I think if it was Lady Gaga, Lady Gaga is going to perform for these people. I think if it was Prince, I think Prince would perform for these people. And I put her up in those that echelon. I think if it's like uh, Taylor Swift, she's performing for these people. I think it was interesting that Madonna didn't perform. Not that she was expected to, but if Tom Hanks is doing puppet shows and Rosie O'Donnell's doing stand-up, come on. Do something. Give us something. <laughs> Fair enough. Even if you okay, even if you sing sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. I'm not saying you have to do Vogue. You know, I'm just like, you know, maybe there's something. Do a sing along. I mean, I will say for people who are now hearing Paul's horrible rant against Madonna, icon oh, of an age, and, and um, you know, thinking like, wow, maybe Madonna is terrible. The producer of League of Their Own had actually been a producer um, in New York in the 70s, and he was one of the producers who was hiring for the musical Hair. So in 1979, he had open tryouts for the musical Hair. And when he got to open tryouts, there were a thousand people there in line who had already signed their names onto the list to try out for Hair. But the very first person on the list was Madonna, which when he ran the math on it, he realized she'd gotten there 40 hours early to audition for Wow, hair. That's, like gonna, that's like going to Hall H to watch the final presentation of uh, the Twilight panel or something like that. Yeah, that's and commitment. then winding up becoming the biggest celebrity on earth because you, well, you, you gotta yeah. get there you gotta get there and by the way amy um something else we didn't talk about i was very excited i kind of jumped up uh when i was watching this on the couch but uh tia leone is in this movie did you pick her out like i was like i was so excited to see her i was like oh look at her i couldn't see her but good for her that means she's athletic she's a first baseman on the racine team uh, so she's at the end there and I was like, oh, look at this. They really kind of peppered everybody through. Uh, she also has an at bat. I Googled it and, and checked her out a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> but I always, I always love seeing like small, like, big actors in, in very small parts. It's always a, a fun I like way that to check too. it out. Although I think I had the disorienting experience watching this of seeing, you know, one of the bigger actors in here getting frustrated that they didn't have a bigger career, you know, and I'm talking about Lori Petty. Like, Laurie Petty is amazing in this movie. And I think she's just such a terrific actress. And I was looking back at her career and being like, why was there such good Laurie Petty? And then we did not get the full flower of Laurie Petty. Like, what happened? We kind of did, right? And then it just kind of faded or something. Something happened. Well, I noticed that, like, you know, the Laurie Petty-ness, like, the movies that really made her career were, like, Point Break, League of Their Own, and Tank Girl. And mm-hmm. those were all movies directed by women. And I wonder if there's just something in her career. It's like female directors understood that she was awesome and male directors didn't know what to do with her because oh, that's really they kind of didn't, right? Like like Rachel Talley could look at her and be like, this is my tank girl, a movie that I think is so fun, you know, and like pull that out of her or that even making Point Break that um, now I'm just forgetting the name of the director who made Point Break, Catherine Bigelow, uh, yeah. could look at her and be like, cool girl, tough girl, sexy. Like she could see the total package. I think there's a Laurie Petty appeal that men just don't register. It, maybe that's an unfair thing to say, but like it didn't happen after that. And she didn't come back around, I think, in full flower until she did a couple of seasons of Orange is the New Black, you know, yeah. also headed by a female. And so I'm kind of like... What happened? Like, is the lack of Lori Petty in my life because of a lack of female directors? Like, what's the connection here? Well, you know, I also think that, you know, we live in a world where, unfortunately, you know, when you are of a certain age, especially a younger woman, you can kind of get eaten 
up and spit out by the system. Like, you know, you're sort of like, oh, we used you for those four movies and now you there's another X person that gets in there. And then and, you know, we, we see that time and time again. And, and it's unfair because I think men get to exist around that a lot more. But I, I think in this time in particular, it was always like, who's the next batch of people? Who's the next batch of people? Who's the next batch of people? Uh, and, you know, and, and uh, she was great and she is great. And she still is, you know, uh, an awesome actress. But I think you might you might have something about, you know, maybe not just finding the person that could get her voice. Yeah. Or maybe she was also able to be able to look out for the director she thought would get her. You know, like, yeah, how much of that was like an active choice on her half? Like, I want to work with people that I think will understand who I am and what I can do. Because I just think she's so hard. I mean, her character in here kit could be like a real drag. She'd be well, super y- annoying. This is the kind of character that usually in a movie I'd be like, get over it, kit. But I love this kit. Like, I want to protect this kit, even when I think she's being a pain. Well, I thought it was interesting that, you know, that she left film. And again, I don't know all the details of all this, but she left film to go make a TV show. Like right after League of Their Own, she went to go make a TV show called Lush Life, uh, and that was a short-lived TV series. But that was right in '96, which is you know, uh, let's see, I guess League of Their Own came out in '92, then Free Willy, then Poetic Justice, In the Army Now, Tank Girl, and then she did Lush Life, and then kind of started popping up more and more on TV. She did a little bit more of the TV stuff and did shows like Brimstone and uh, The Profiler and stuff like that. Um, I mean, at least she didn't show up in the League of Their Own TV show. Did you ever see that? Well, Amy, not only did I see it, but I pulled the clip of it, and I need to play it for you. probably pulled the same exact clip, uh, but it's four minutes into the pilot, and it takes a classic moment from the movie, and it's shot like multicam. It has some of the actors from the actual movie in it, it has uh, Tracy Reiner in it, and it has, I think, the same Marla. Uh, take a listen to this. Remember when we actually won some games? Oh, yeah. We had hopes. We had dreams. I don't know. Maybe it's my fault. Maybe I failed. Now, it's you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you. And not you, Betty. You're doing a terrific job. I'm very proud of you. Keep up the good work. Now, <clears throat> for those of you whose husbands weren't killed during the war, you're not thinking out there. Evelyn! Huh. A moment. Is this a bad time? What was that last pitch you called? Um, no, you tell who's ever working that brain of yours to turn around and look at me. Okay? Mm-hmm. What was that last pitch? <laughs> no, 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 you don't! What's Jimmy Dugan's most important rule? Never vomit on your shoes. <laughs> baseball rule. There's no crying baseball. Sorry? There's no crying baseball! Right. I mean, a laugh track? They put a laugh track on our movie. They put a laugh track on our movie. I was I was like, this is so insane. How is this possible? How did how on earth did Penny Marshall allow this to happen? And then I realized she directed this. She directed this pilot episode. Because it's a cash grab. It's the same reason that Amy Heckerling, we talked about this on our spool party show, did and wrote a lot of the clueless TV show. I think it's sort of like, hey, this is so successful. Why not just keep on mining the mint here? And 
there is a world where I think A League of Their Own as a TV show could work. As a matter of fact, um, and I don't know where it is right now because of quarantine and, and networks don't really announce where they're at in, in pilots, but League of Their Own is being redeveloped right now for TV with an amazing cast of like Darcy Carden and Abby Jacobson and uh, I believe Nat Faxon in the Tom Hanks role. Uh, really cool cast. And uh, I'm excited to see what that could be, especially now. I hope that is good. I mean, the League of Their Own 1993 CBS show, I think it lasted six episodes and they might not mm. have even aired all of them. There's apparently an episode where they get a chimpanzee, like the, oh the coach character wins a chimpanzee. So now there's a chimpanzee on the road. There's also apparently an episode with uh, uh, let's be like dying and gagging where like uh, Jimmy Dugan and Dottie kiss. Just like, oh, why? No, 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 no. And there's also an episode that Tom Hanks directed just because he could. Well, look, I think they got everybody in there, you know, like, and again, when you have a movie that big, like, why not? Why not? Try it. I mean, it could work. Uh, I mean, I will say that I just feel like it may have been unfortunately timed in a, in a world where multicams or that looks like it was a multicam not shot in front of a live audience. It just was not the right format for it at all. I, I think, you know, I think you're right. But I mean, as we're getting into the controversial topics, then I yeah. want to ask you this in that ending. Do you think that Dottie drops the ball on purpose? Ooh, it's a good question. I don't. I thought don't. about this a lot. I don't. I think what I love about that ending and what I think is really smart about that ending is and why you leave fulfilled. Because we talked about this before. Like, who do I root for? Who am I? Whose side am I on? And she hit her hard. And it was both of them going to 10, right? I'm not gonna make a stupid spinal tap joke that went to 11, but it uh, they went to 10 and they allowed themselves to get, they, they just, they both threw their hardest punch at each other. And I feel like that's what I love about that scene. Like, you think that she dropped it? I don't know. I don't know. Like, it would be beautiful if... Lori Petty could know that she always won, right? Like, it, I yes. wish she hadn't dropped it. Like, I hope that she didn't drop it. If she did drop it, that's sweet and a generous gift to do. No. I would like to think that Lori Petty earned it. However, I was reading a sports analyst, um, their reading of the ball drop. You know, somebody who actually knows baseball. Yeah. I'm a terrible person because I pretend like I care about the Dodgers in LA, but I have not yet really cared about the Dodgers in LA. Yeah. Um, but a I sports a analyst, bit. like, watched it and they said, okay, here's the thing. Her form in that final scene, Dottie's form is poor and it is unlike how she usually plays. That when Dottie catches the ball, that just before impact, she's holding the ball in her hand outside of the glove, which leaves her hand exposed, which makes it more prone to dropping. And that Dottie should have known better. She should have been even taught from a young age that when you catch the ball, you catch it and you hold the ball in your hand with the glove, which she just doesn't do. And so okay. this reading is saying maybe even unconsciously, she sets herself up to be more prone to drop the ball. Yeah, but don't you feel like what we know about it is she's like pitcher high and fast, right? So she's trying to get her out. Mm -hmm. Like if if she didn't hit it, she would have been psyched to get that her struck out. Like you don't feel like she even switches it up at the end. Like if she like I think that the Penny Marshall here does the best thing because it's like if they both are at 10, it was lucky, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, yes, that's how that moment went down. Now, if it went down another way, they could have been flipped. 
Also, I believe that like Gina Davis hadn't played the first six games. It's down to the game, you know, so maybe they're not even in game seven if Gina Davis plays. So there's a lot of variables here. Uh, so I'd also say that she's rusty. Uh, but I truly believe the only reason why Gina Davis came back is to win because she knows she wants it bad. And we know that a character wants it bad. And that's her admitting to herself that she wants it bad. She doesn't want to lose. I think in many respects, her losing allows her to walk away where it may have been harder if she won. But I, 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 I am believing that the hit was that hard. And didn't we see a hit earlier in the movie that was that hard too? Like just to kind of set that up, like it kind of foreshadows that. Like it, you know, I don't know. I don't, you don't see any, there's no visual cue from the director. Like we, as the audience know, Gina Davis let it go. Yeah. I mean, the most we get, the image I think of in my head is okay. So like kid is running around the bases mm-hmm. and everybody's like, stop on third or, you know, stop on third. And she doesn't stop. And she keeps running. And Penny Marshall gives us that little clip of Gina Davis's face where Gina Davis registers. Oh, here comes a confrontation. I wasn't expecting, right? Like it catches yeah. her off guard, whatever it is. It wasn't planned. You know, she wasn't planning this from the beginning. Like I'm going to get back and throw the game to my sister. Yeah. But there's a moment she's like, kit, is pushing herself harder than I expected, harder than anybody expected to make this home run. Kid yeah. is like going for it. And you look at her and it's almost like a cartoon kind of visible gulp, you know, like, where like the cartoon, yeah. you're like gulp and it's like a whole shape of a fishbone or something comes out of your neck. She does this little gulp and whatever it is, she decides in that second, but I don't know what she decides. And like people have been asking Gina Davis about this and she'll never say, she's like, I will never ever tell, I'll, tell, I'll take but, it to my grave. But you know who will tell? Huh? Lori Petty. What? Yeah, Lori Petty in 2017 and a story from The Ringer writes or says this. I knew you were going to ask me that because it's what everyone wants to know. The internet is filled with painstaking did she or didn't she analysis that delve into Dottie's mindset, her level of fitness and rustiness following her decision to bail on the team with dull Bob at the start of the playoffs only to have a change of heart in Yellowstone. Her high fastball, she can't hit him. She can't lay off them advice to the pitcher who needs only one more out for the championship, her ball protection or lack thereof, and her maybe foreshadowing comments at the start of the film to her grandsons. Now remember, no matter what your brother does, he's littler than you. Give him a chance to shoot. She says that to the older one and to the younger one, she says, kill him. They're insane, Petty says, of all the forensic sleuths who talk endlessly about it. I kicked her ass. <laughs> and then Davis chimes in on an ESPN oral history about the film, says, I'll say two things about it. Number one, I know the answer because it was me. Of course I know the answer. And then number two, I'm not going to answer that question. I never have and I never will. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it, it, it's interesting. you know, And, and, uh, and even um, Biddy Schramm, who played Evelyn Gardner, uh, you know, who the person who Tom Hanks yells, there's no crime in baseball. Uh, she chimes in and she says, if I had to pick subconsciously, yes, because she knew how much more it meant to Kit and she was too good of a player. From what I remember, subconsciously, yes. Subconsciously. So, that I would, you know, I would, I, you know, I don't know. But I think it's tri- It's tricky. It's tricky. <laughs> well, would you do it? Would you want, okay, you have two kids. Would you want the older kid to let the younger kid win? I guess I love this ending because Lori Petty lived the life. Like, by her winning, she would have continued playing if she won or lost, Lori Petty, no matter what. But by winning, she becomes a star and a star that that 
industry needed. And I love seeing her with the kids. And that's something that Gina Davis probably would never have done. She would have walked off and it would have been a legend and it would have been weird. And she would have like burnt that up. So in my mind, the right person got, got it. Cause you know, I think Gina Davis was leaving no matter what. So if that was the case, I would definitely say I would want the person with the more passion who wants to do this or can commit to it. It's sort of like, have you dated somebody who you really love, but you know they're not going to commit to you? And so at a certain point, you have to be like, yeah, that person's awesome, and my life with them would have been or could have been amazing, but like, they're not going to commit to me, so I have to move on. And I think that that's maybe part of it, too. I get it. It just makes me so sad for Dottie, man. Stuck with, like, lame old Bob. Like, Look, ugh. some people don't even, like, it's sorry for us, but we may not, you know, maybe she's not. Maybe she's not. But Bob's boring. But so is she, Amy. Like, so is Gina Davis. Because fucking Gina Davis doesn't have the 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 empowerment to take this moment. She has the moment. And she's given time and time again in this movie to make a choice to give herself some sort of satisfaction, and she doesn't do it. So I'm going to go on the line and say, Gina Davis is boring. Like, she is great, and she will not, like, at a certain point, you got to be like, I got to move on. Check, please. And that's what I say about Gina Davis' character. Like, she doesn't earn it. She doesn't earn it. She shouldn't earn it. And, like, Elizabeth Gilbert has this idea, this worldview, where it's like, ideas exist in the world, and if you don't activate on an idea, someone else will take it. And I do believe that that's the same thing here. Like, she was given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to to be the face to she could have it's like Michael Jordan retiring after like the first season right like that's the way they're building her up and so they yeah, let somebody else come in and take that take it you know what then this I think makes a league of their own the most perverse sports movie because yeah. then it is about a person who's naturally good doesn't seem to have to work that hard she's just great at it she's naturally better than everybody else and she quits Dun-dun. I love it and like yeah. and what a crazy yeah. ending yeah exactly mm-hmm. Your team loses. I mean, the Peaches lose. Like, and that's a very interesting ending. And the Peaches seem upset about it, too. Like, Rosie is not happy. Madonna gives her that it's okay that you sucked speech. Yeah. Like, we forgive you that you sucked. Like, it's okay. We won't murder you in your sleep speech. Yeah. No, they're upset. Like, the Peaches legitimately wanted to win. So I, I think I enjoy the emotional tug of that ending. Like, I'm happy for Kit. I'm so sad for the girls. And it... It wins. It's not just like the easy, like, yeah, the Hoosiers won. Congrats. Or like, yeah, the Cool Runnings guys lost, but we expected them to lose. It's the the best of both. I totally agree. And now I guess the only question left is, Amy, what did people say about this movie? And we know that people loved it, right? I mean, but was it anyone not love this film? I mean, I don't know how you couldn't. You know, people didn't love this film. What? It's really? astonishing. It's astonishing. This movie got negative reviews from Entertainment Weekly, from the Washington Post, Variety, Time Out, The New Yorker, Chicago Tribune, People, Times UK, Independent UK. Did not love the movie. They all were really condescending to it uh, and just thought it was like, eh, it's fine. But the negative review that I picked is from the Orlando Sentinel because A, it's really snarky. And the way that it's snarky and missing the point of the movie, I find incredibly telling. Right. Okay, okay. let me hear it. Here we go. From Field of Dreams to The Babe, we've seen a lot of baseball films in recent years. Now, here's a movie that could have been called Field of Dames or The Babes. In some ensemble movies, Nashville, for example, the various character sketches blend to form a collective portrait that makes a broader statement. 
In Marshall's film, the sketches just remain sketches. Did Marshall get a hold of a terrific subject and then become afraid of appearing too political, too feminist, or even too female-oriented? The only way that this movie differs from one that a man might have directed is that instead of female nudity in the locker room scenes, there's a locker room scene in which the coach urinates in front of his team. Also, few male directors would have kept the one peach who is a former beauty contestant winner in the background. In fact, Marshall and the screenwriters don't even develop what could have been the movie's most involving theme, Dottie's eternal conflict between her love of baseball and her desire to be a mother and homemaker. I kept waiting for what should have been the movie's key sequence in which Dottie would confront her husband with her reasons for wanting to finish out the Peaches season and her thoughts on what to do afterward. But it never materialized. He does compliment Gina and call her, he calls her tall and strong and says she looks great as Dottie. And that she scores amazingly well in her underwritten role. But then he calls Lori Petty the whiny kit and says she drops the ball. And then this is the part that I find most telling. Without a compelling story about one of the female players to follow, you may soon search around for someone else to focus on. I found myself following Hanks' character, the dissolute tobacco-chewing and spitting Coach Dugan, a role he plays with exhilarating verve and a surprisingly convincing old pro quality. In the course of a league of their own, the coach sobers up, changes his attitude about female athletes, and discovers a whole new way to love baseball. This is a fascinating transformation to be sure. But what does it say about today's Hollywood when the most interesting character in a movie about a woman's baseball team turns out to be a man? Oh, fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you, this (laughs) review. I mean, it's a great review because it's so fucking dumb. Uh, It's so dumb. And it proves my the point that I have long said about male critics, even the ones I beloved, I think male critics tend to be invisible to female friendship in films. They just don't see it. I've probably had gone on this rant around you that it's like some sort of dog whistle where films that mm-hmm. are about the stuff of a female friendship and the things that make female friendship, it just blows past people. And they think that these films are about nothing. Like I've right. seen it time and time and time again. I know the example I've given you before. I was talking about Vampire Academy, that it's right. a film about vampires, but all the male reviews were like, not enough vampires. And you're like, no, that actually it was a film about friendship. And none of those reviews talked about the, di- the friendship dynamic. Right. And I think this guy is watching this film that's about a team of women and their friendship and coming together and having each other's back. And he's like, it's about nothing. But at least that man stopped being sexist because that's the only part he could see. It's like colorblindness. Yeah. And I find it just absolutely fascinating. And then I went through because I got really interested. Like a lot of these negative reviews had issues with Dottie's character being so silent and keeping her stuff inward. Mm-hmm. And I was like, OK. However, right when this film comes out, another film comes out. Unforgiven with Clint Eastwood. Of course. Also a person, character, keeping all of their stuff inside, not expressing their emotions. Love that. Thought it was the best performance of the year. Couldn't compliment it enough. They're just not looking. And so I went a bit insane. It's just interesting. I think we have, I think there is a certain uh, misogynist quality, especially in sports films, where it's like, well, this didn't give me the exact same thing, but it really is. This is a... We've seen a lot of sports movies, a lot of male-dominated sports movies, and to me, there is no difference in this movie and that movie. Yes, all the trappings of what make this movie great and special, the characters and the dynamics, are very unique. But as far as the sports part of it, like, this is a great sport. It just hands down, it's a great sports movie. Yes, it has a, a bunch of, as an ensemble female cast, but it's funny how, you know, people pick that stuff apart. It's so weird. I agree. I think it's a terrific movie. And I think, honestly, it's a lack of having a scene, a, a scene where Dottie is like, 
here's why I want to play the peach season is what makes it so smart is what makes it feel yes. so incredible. It doesn't need it. It doesn't need it. And that the guy wanted the movie to like reach for cliche and become a lesser movie. Gah. Gagging. I, I just want to like I, gag all day. I'm just gagging. I'm gagging left and right with this. No, you know, and you got to like just give it up one more time for uh, Penny Marshall to have the wherewithal to know how to a maybe even sabotage that scene and shoot it at the same time like when you look at that scene it really gives you a bad response and this movie is so delicately and and precisely done that i feel like she knew how to give the studio what they wanted knowing that they would never use it yeah yeah and i just want our modern day feminist moments in movies to just have the like pure strength of will to be what it is and not have to like I don't know. Like I, I'm thinking about the bad version of League of Their Own being like that moment in um, the last Avengers movie where they're just like, all of us girls are going to team up. Here we go. You know, like yeah. Powerpuff fucking girls or whatever they were doing. I, I think it turns me off when feminist moments in movies seem to like almost call attention to themselves as though they're belittling it. You know, like yeah, look yeah, what yeah. we managed to do. Look what we're pulling off. Like it, it seems so petty and trivial when it comes in in that way. And yet a movie like League of Their Own that just takes up the space that it wants, tells the story that it wants, tells it how it wants. To me, that is the stronger film by far. Not Brie Larson giving me like, you know, some sort of squint and being like, ha ha, told you girls rule. Like, that's dumb. That is dumb. I just want to watch the girls rule and not have to like have a clap back about it. Well, there we go. Amy, would you shoot this movie up at space? Yes. I mean, me too. I, I think we've talked about all the reasons why. I, I'm amazed it's not on the list. I would be shocked if it's not on the next version of the list. Um, it is just, it's just a perfect home run hit. Uh, the only thing that this movie doesn't have is uh, the Academy Award uh, nominations that I think a traditional AFI film normally has. Uh, exactly. And, but, uh, but uh, yeah, I think this movie is a solid, solid uh yeah, a solid, I agree. solid film. I mean, I think the only quibble I have with this movie is I feel bad for the chaperone. She's trying. And then they drug her. And they're like, ha ha, yeah. she got drugged. And like, ha ha, Tom Hanks doesn't want to kiss her. I feel a little bad for the chaperone. I, I get that. Okay, sure. Yeah. All right. That's all. Well, there we go. <laughs> um, well, Amy, next week we are going to be talking about Oscars. So if you've seen a lot of Oscar movies, if you've not seen a lot of Oscar movies, Tune in because we're going to tell you what Oscar movies are worth your time. Uh, if you're like me, I haven't seen many. Amy will be helping guide my choices. And uh, and if you are like Amy, you've not only seen them, but you have strong opinions about them. So it will be an interesting discussion about someone who is very much in the world of Academy Awards and somebody who is not so much this year. But, uh, you know, you, if you have do a good bar- instincts, man. You got killer instincts. I get well, lost we'll in my own word, thought, bubble brain stuff. All that matter in here, it's, it's fucking me up. I think you're going to do good. Uh, well, I'm excited to uh, to break it all down. And then we will return with the winner of our listener pick for the Underdog series and announce our brand new series as well. Amy, I cannot wait to do this with you again and remind everybody to uh, jump on the Discord over on my channel, discord.gg uh, slash Paul Shearer. There's an unspooled talk there, but you can also sign up for uh, the screen test uh, show, which we've been doing a lot of lately, and uh, we want to keep on doing these uh, fun game shows with y'all. So uh, yeah, for check, sure. out- check, check out our Oscar episode of Screen Test, which is wicked. I'm uh, is- very excited about that. 